Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Spies like us. Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. We've got a very special assignment for you two. This is my sister. You can all have her. You want some coffee? That's a good idea. Let me see that. Hey, come on. Honestly, you two are unbelievable. Stop Every minute you don't tell us why you're here, I cut off a finger. Mine or yours? Yours. Damn! Oh! Hi-yo, Silver! Away! Chevy Chase. Get us the hell out of here! Dan Aykroyd. To think my high school guidance counselor said I'd never amount to anything. Spies like us. We're Americans! Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Spies Like Us from 1985. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was December 6, 1985. The running time, 102 minutes, and it was rated PG. The budget, $22 million. Box office took in $60 million, making it the 10th ranked movie of 1985. Now, in the 1980s, if Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, or Steve Martin starred in a movie, I was probably going to watch it. Good or bad, it really didn't matter. Spies Like Us was a no-brainer for me at the time. And I will admit the film is a bit inconsistent, but there are a few scenes that make the whole movie worthwhile, and we'll get into that in a bit. All right, the main cast, of course, Chevy Chase plays Emmett Fitzhume. Now, I covered Chase's early career in the Vacation and Caddyshack episodes, and from Vacation until Spies Like Us, Chase starred in the movie Deal of a Century with Sigourney Weaver and Gregory Hines. That movie really should have been better, but check it out anyway. And then, arguably, his best comic performance, which was Fletch. Next was the sequel to Vacation, which was European Vacation. 1985 was really a good year for Chase because he had three popular movies that all made the top 15 of grossing films that year. Spies Like Us being the highest grosser of the three. Dan Aykroyd plays Austin Milbarge. Now, I cover Aykroyd's career up to 1983 in the Dr. Detroit episode, which is really the only film where Aykroyd was the main star by himself. And while Dr. Detroit didn't set the world afire, his next two films did. Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Jamie Lee Curtis, and then of course, Ghostbusters in 1984. The two other notable actors in Spies Like Us are Donna Dixon, who was married to Aykroyd by 1985 after they first met on Dr. Detroit. The other is Vanessa Angel. This was her film debut at the age of 18. She would go on to be best known for her role as Claudia in the hilarious comedy Kingpin in 1996. She also played the Kelly LeBrock character in the TV series version of Weird Science, which lasted five seasons in the mid-1990s. 
the director John Landis. Now, I covered Landis's career in the Coming to America episode. So if you want the full recap, which involves some tragedy as well, I recommend checking out that episode. But the quick recap of his enormous success from 1977 to 1983 includes the Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, The Blues Brothers, An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, and the first long-form music video for Michael Jackson's iconic song, Thriller. From 1978 to 1983, Landis had an unbelievable run that rivals some of the greatest directors of all time. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So Dan Aykroyd, much like Harold Ramis, was always underrated as a writer. He often had script ideas for numerous films, many of which became classics like The Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. He also wrote many of the skits of the classic era of Saturday Night Live. Many of Aykroyd's story ideas almost always involved his best friend John Belushi, and Spies Like Us was no different, which Aykroyd had in mind for years before the film was actually made. When Belushi died, Aykroyd envisioned Richard Pryor as his co-lead, but the studios didn't like the pairing. Because Chevy Chase was one of the most popular comedic actors at the time, the only reason Spies Like Us was even greenlit was getting Chevy Chase as the co-star for the film. Now, this is the first film which paired Aykroyd and Chase together. Though, of course, they appeared in the first season of Saturday Night Live together. And they would go on to be in three more films, none that were that well-received. You had Caddyshack 2, oof, The Couch Strip, and Nothing But Trouble. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens in Russia with a giant missile being transported through the snowy woods. The U.S. Department of Defense, using their satellites that are roaming in space, detect the Russian missile. The DOD, led by Ruby, that's Bruce Davidson, and Keyes, William Prince, and General Sline, Steve Force, and I think Sline has something to do with the Blues Brothers because I think uh, Ackroyd used that before. Well, they have a plan to send four special agents to Russia on a secret mission. However, two of the agents will be decoys to protect the well-being of the main agents. The reason for this subterfuge is because their last top agent sent on a special mission, they were killed. The decoys, though part of an elite program, are being sought out as the bottom of the rung, as not everyone can be top of their class, so to speak. We are then introduced to Emmett Fitzhume, that's Chevy Chase, who is watching TV at his desk instead of actually working, and he doesn't really have a care in the world. Fitzhume should be studying for the upcoming Foreign Service exam, which is vital to his career path. But again, Fitzhume doesn't seem worried about that sort of nonsense, you know, like career growth. We are then introduced to Austin Milbarge, that's Dan Aykroyd. He's a tech whiz and locked in a basement as his office at the Pentagon. Milbarge is the early version of the tech geeks that are so common in today's internet world. Where's the brain for the Scram Jam 7000? Procurement picked it up over an hour ago. Well, was it fixed? Yeah, new voice scramblers and everything. Hmm. Well, what about that red Chinese radio chatter? It's done. Here you go. 
time. That was a static-filled, triple-scrambled microwave transmission between two soldiers talking in Mandarin Chinese. Well, the Chinese were only using a simple polyphonetically grouped 20-square-digit key transposed in booster-photonic form with multiple nulls. Broke it with this. A Drogon's decoder wheel? They put these things into cereal boxes for kids. Yeah, I found it a box of, uh, Lucky Charms. Break it down again with the machines. I already did. Fallen, clean up the desk. Good. That's much better. Oh, yeah, by the way, good luck on the test tomorrow. Test? What test? The Foreign Service Board exams. Good luck. Foreign Service Boards tomorrow? I can't take that test tomorrow. I haven't studied. I'm not prepared. Well, you were bumped up on the list. You're scheduled for tomorrow morning. I'm, uh, I'm sure I told you. This is dated two weeks ago. You planned this. You want me to fail that test so that you can keep me down here in the center of the earth doing your work for you. You just watch your mouth, mister. This department's laying off civilians left and right. Where are you going? Home. To study. <laughs> One night studying for a grade 19 FSB exam. Good luck. Listen, Captain. I'm going to pass that exam, and I'm going to get out of this hole and do some really important work for national security. Yeah, sure. I was going to do your family a favor and hook up the Disney Channel for free. Well, forget it. That's right, Millbarge. Stolen cable channels were a big deal back in the day. Nowadays, you would just share your password, but moving right along. Back to Fitzhume, who is giving a press conference and, of course, is unprepared for questions as usual. Ladies and gentlemen, as of this afternoon, the Undersecretary for South American Affairs emphatically denies any and all intervention in the current realignment of top positions in the Paraguayan Air Force. Thank you very much. Wait, 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 wait. wait. What about the Paraguayan Army's request for spraying subsidies? Are there any Paraguayans here? No? <laughs> well, of course, uh, their request for subsidies was not a uh, Paraguayan, as it, is, as it were. Uh, the United States government would never have, if the president, our president, had not, and as far as I know, that's the way it'll always be. Is that clear? How can you say we aren't spending millions on spraying when the International Wheat Board has reported, and I quote, extensive contamination in the grain fields of southern Argentina? The state ever... microphone's cutting out on us. I'm awfully sorry. However, the... The good old broken mic trick. Brilliant. I still you that next is one of my favorite comedy scenes, not just in this movie, but of all time. My friends and I used to love this scene so much that we'd often try to reenact it in class. I was an excellent student, as you can imagine. I can't take the pressure! Heart attack! Chevy Chase's ridiculous behavior, it's absolutely priceless. Now, it's easy to forget how brilliant Chase was as a comedic actor, and then you have Aykroyd as the straight man in this routine. It's just perfect. And not to be outdone, Frank Oz as the test proctor was also a perfect casting in this particular scene. These examinations are qualifiers 
for positions in the intelligence sections of our embassies overseas. The nature of your postings will be secret. Now, secret work can be very risky. I cite as an example what happened to one of our greatest Americans, not yet. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. My fault. <clears throat> I'm sorry I'm late. I had to attend the reading of a will. I had to stay to the very end when I found out I received nothing. Broke my arm. <clears throat> oh, uh, would you hold my wallet while I take the test, please? There's a thousand dollars in there. Or maybe there isn't. You know what I mean? Are you saying I can take this money if I help you pass the test? What do you think? So where do I, uh... Sit down! You may begin. Fitzhume blames the fart on the guy next to him, whom he also works with. Now, it's at this point that the scene becomes predominantly visual, so I'll I'll tell you what's going on. So Fitzhume is wearing an eye patch over one eye. He has a fake sling on his arm with a cast and a fake hand with a glove on it. (laughs) It's quite the outfit. Obviously making no attempt to study for the exam, Fitzhume is going to cheat. His eye patch has notes inside of it. His long piece of folded thin paper with notes in his mouth, which looks like a long stick of gum that he can fold. Fitzhume also has notes inside of his fake cast, which he hilariously whips out of his real hand from his coat pocket to reveal the fake sling. (laughs) It's at this point the test proctor has noticed the weird behavior of Fitzhume and decides to activate the security cameras to film his cheating. We go back to the scene where Fitzhume drags Milbarge into his cheating farce by asking what KGB stands for. Oh, my God, the pressure! I can't take it! Oh, 
So while Fitzhume acts like he's having a heart attack, he grabs different tests from the people in the room and writes down all the answers while Millbarge creates a diversion. Both men are now in the office of Ruby and Keys watching a video of their cheating. Expecting to be fired for their display during the test, both men are shocked to hear that they're being promoted. However, they have no idea that their so-called promotion means that the DOD has found their decoys for their special undercover mission. And frankly, they did work well together in the test cheating. Their first assignment is to be dropped from a plane, which they were not ready for, out in the middle of nowhere, at night, in a forest. And then they get some training from Colonel Rumbus. That's Bernie Casey. Where are we? I don't know. I wasn't watching. I lost everything at 7,000 feet. Did you hear that? Yeah. It's a dick fur. What's a dick fur? To pee with. Was that me? Super Spy, think of something. You're the diplomat. Talk to them. All right. Stop right there, and I'll bring back the sun. Okay. This is my sister. You can all have her. I hear she's very good. Just take another step, and I start swinging. You hear that? He's threatening you. Let's get him. God's sake, show some balls. I think it's too late to try and impress him. That's enough. Off to the mill barge. Here, sir. Emmett Fitzhume. Hello. Sir. Colonel Rambus. Special Projects Training. We've been expecting you. Uh, excuse me, sir, but uh, what was all this... Uh... That's how I welcome new trainees. What's wrong with a hot cup of coffee and a handshake? Listen, it's my job to get you prepared to go out into the field for combat. Now, I must know right away what I've got to work with. I've made my decision. What's it say? Pussy. I don't think that's very fair. All these guys had swords. Um, what are we supposed to do? It depends on your particular arena of combat. Maybe this. No! 
I'll take you back to the base. This is the obstacle course. It is essentially the course familiar to armed service recruits, except that here in intelligence operative training, we do it a bit differently. We add the element of scorched earth. This is your standard bog negotiation trial. You will be judged on survivability and time. Enter now. Hands down! This will verify your ability to stay afloat at high speed. We'll now begin with AFPSR, Air Force Passive Strain Response. You will not be required to exert yourself at all, only to survive aggravated body temperature measurement. We will now determine your G-force threshold. Just relax, gentlemen. I guess we just sit here? Piece of cake. That's a good idea. Hello. Uh, Colonel, uh, we were just talking and uh, we've had loads of fun here and, uh, you know, we met new friends and had a great lunch. Wasn't that a great lunch? Yeah, the tuna and cream casserole was beautiful. Great. And uh, anyway, we were just talking and we'd like to go home now. So uh, thanks to the bruises and you can keep the uh, stool samples. Boys, it'd be a shame to have to kill you now. What do you mean by that? It means we're OIO. What's that? Obligated involuntary officers. Gentlemen, begin radical vertical impact simulation now. Yes, sir. Sit. Congratulations, men. You're about to enter the operational phase of your assignment. I am not authorized to give you the full operational package, but I will tell you that the location of your initial drop will be well inside the borders of Pakistan. Pakistan? Pakistan?
Now, the training scenes are great, as the duo has to be submerged in swamp-like water while being shot at, and they're dragged in a lake from a speedboat, and then they have a flamethrower shot at them while wearing a thermal suit. They're also subjected to incredibly high speeds, where their faces are temporarily frozen in Joker-like smiles. And then finally, they're dropped straight down in a test plane. And then it's off to Pakistan for the boys, though they have no idea why. And they are dropped in a large metal crate in the middle of a desert. (laughs) They have a brief humorous encounter with the locals before being picked up by the supposed agents from the U.S. consulate. One of them is played by James Doughton. He's best known for playing Greg from Animal House, who was the leader of the uptight frat house. Geez, I am starving. What time you got? Hey, listen, can we stop? What's the matter? I gotta take a leak. You should go, too. What are you, my mother? Don't you think I'm capable of determining my own time to go to the bathroom? So, isn't now one of those times? No. You mean you don't feel a certain degree of urgent pressure on the inner wall of your bladder now, right at this moment? No, I'm fine. Well, wouldn't you feel more comfortable being fully relieved of any excess fluids that might be building up immediately now? I gotta take a whiz? Don't go away. Oh, we'll be here. These guys are not our legitimate contacts. These guys are KGB special branch. Oh, come on. Don't tell me to come on. That was a Russian wristwatch. I know the country of origin of every timepiece in the world. That was a Russian copy of a 1969 Timex digital. What is this, some kind of a hobby with you? Basic, most common slip up in espionage. We walked right into enemy hands. And they have indeed walked into a trap. The two Russian agents out themselves when Milbarge says something in Russian. Milbarge and Fitzhume end up stealing their jeep and escaping. But they're in the middle of a desert, and they have no idea where they're going. Eventually, they're stopped by the supposed Afghani freedom fighters, and Milbarge believes they are U.S. allies. Well, not so, as they are captured and tied feet first to a pole in a local village and likely to be executed. Our two doctors end up saving them. One is Karen Boyer, that's Donna Dixon. The other is Jerry Hadley, Charles McEwen, who believe Fitzhume and Milbarge are fellow doctors brought in to help with the United Nations aid effort. Fitzhume and Milbarge go with the ruse that they are doctors, which turns into another memorable scene. Have we received the uh, last shipment of penicillin yet? Not yet, no. Oh, well, possibly tomorrow. Mm. We're waiting for it. Okay. <laughs> Ah, here we are. I'm Hadley, internal medicine. I'm Dr. Lafon, communicable diseases. Dr. Boyer, bacteriology. And Dr. Stinson, Marston and Gill of the Northampton Trauma Institute. And Dr. Imhouse of the Zurich Relief Fund. These are our newly arrived surgeons, Drs. Trowbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 Doctor?
Why don't you gentlemen relax? The tribe's planning a raid on a Soviet tank division tomorrow. There'll be plenty for us to do then. Doctors? Doctor? 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 We're not doctors. We've got to get out of this place immediately, if not sooner. No, no, no. Not until I've had... Excuse me. Am I interrupting? No, not at all. He was just on his way out. What happens when the real Brown Bridge and Green Bridge come? <clears throat> Hi. Dr. Trowbridge. Where? Oh, right. Make yourself comfortable. Sit down. Thank you. What can I do for you? Dr. Trowbridge, may I call you Homer? Why? Well, that's your name. Oh, right. Homer, of course. What's your name? Karen. Karen. Dr. Trowbridge, Homer, when you walked into this tent, it was the most exciting moment of my life. Well, you just wait. You're a hero of mine. I've read all your papers. How'd you get my papers? Oh, you mean my medical papers. Right. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? Oh, Karen, our first fight. You might think I'm silly to worship you the way I do, but in my estimation, you're a genius. Well, I think... Genius is a pretty strong word, but if you insist on using it, I can handle it. In fact, I hesitate to mention my problem. It's a task hardly worthy of your abilities. No, go ahead and mention it. Really, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. It's the Khan's brother. He's been suffering from pain in the right lower abdomen. Obviously, an inflamed appendix. Obviously. Well, Dr. Hadley was going to remove it, but now that you're here... I mean... Just to see you perform even the most simple surgery would be one of the great thrills of my life. Uh, no, I'd really rather not. I don't have my instruments with me. Well, you can use Dr. Hadley's. <clears throat> Please, Homer. The Khan's brother is being prepped now. If you refuse to do this, the Khan will lose faith in you. In us, the consequences could be severe. I see. Well, the truth is I am a great surgeon. But alas, I recently suffered severe nerve damage in my left hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. Look at that. No feeling at all. Dead. Well, how did that happen? Oh, I was lifting a car off a child. It was a big car, Cadillac. Oh, I'm so disappointed. And the con. He'll be very suspicious. My God. Oh, there, 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 there. You know, actually, I could operate without my hands. Dr. Greenbaum could be my hands. I could tell him what to do, and he'd do it for me. And you would get a chance to see me in action. That would be wonderful. Of course, after I guide Dr. Greenbaum through an operation, I get very depressed. I couldn't do it myself, you know. It's a, it's a very bad time for me. Don't you worry. I'll be with you. Give me a break. About an hour? 
fine an hour thank you bye bye you're good with tools aren't you devices instruments what are you kidding you're talking to mill barge here you want something converted built dismantled repaired modified you're talking to mr hands Ah. Oh, mind if I play through? Doctor? Doctor? <laughs> Glad I'm not sick. <laughs> that, of course, was Bob Hope in a great cameo as this film is an homage to the road pictures with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby from the 1940s. Also, the last scene has a great sight gag as Fitzhume claims his hands have been damaged and no longer have feeling as he grabs Karen's breasts. <laughs> So it's time for the surgery as Millbarge will be performing under the guidance of Fitzhume as they have a medical book hidden underneath the operating table. What could possibly go wrong here? If anything happens to him, my people will be angry. To die in battle is glorious. To die in a tent is disgrace. And with that, I give you Dr. Julius Greenbaum. Thank you, doctor. I'll just step out for a smoke. Perhaps I'll stay here. <laughs> Today, we will be removing the patient's appendix. The first step in an operation of this particular type is... ...to shave the patient. Forget it, forget it, get on with it. We we'll skip the shave and go directly to the operation. The second step in an operation of this type is... Anesthetic. But can't you tell he's already been given the required injection of pentothal? Of course. He's already been given the required... In injections. Huh? All right, let us begin the operation. Thank you, doctor. And now the first incision. Doctor, isn't that incision a bit high for an appendix? Do you want to do the operation? Fine, you come on up here and you do it. In-house. He was cutting into his chest. Did you see me cut into his chest? Did I cut his chest? I was probing to determine muscle tone and skeletal girth. It's a new technique. We mock what we don't understand. Yeah. Go ahead, will you? I'm getting hungry. And now, the first incision.
now I will incise. Cut the sucker. This man is dead. So the guy died before the surgery was even performed, which means the boys are on the run again as they steal an ambulance and are being chased by the freedom fighters on horses. Eventually they get away, but they're still in the middle of the desert. We then go back to the United States where Ruby and Keys go to a secret location in Nevada to find out more about the mission. We also get a cameo from blues great B.B. King, who enjoys soda, as you will hear. Driving is closed. We're with the Ace Tomato Company. All this looking dagger stuff, the military love it. Christ, will you look at this place? Mr. Ruby. Sir. Mr. Keys. Yes, sir. Won't you gentlemen have a Pepsi? Two Pepsis to go. Now what? Why don't you gentlemen have a Pepsi? You do it.
This way, gentlemen. Welcome to one. The Pepsi signal turns a drive-in snack bar into a secret underground building where a military setup is housed. Fitzhume and Milbarge end up in a village with a payphone and get a hold of Ruby and Keys to try to send them out of Pakistan. However, that's not going to happen as their orders are now to send them to the Russian border as a diversion to keep the real agents safe in their mission. Fitzhume and Milbarge are told once they complete their next mission, they will be rescued. Of course, their new mission orders are completely vague, just that they have to go to the Russian border. Now, as viewers, we know there is no rescue mission because Fitzhume and Milbarge are expected to be killed by Russian soldiers at some point. So, how will Fitzhume and Milbarge get to the Russian border, let alone survive all of this? And what is the end game for the U.S. government in all of this? You'll just have to watch the film and find out, as the final 45 minutes will explain everything, along with more hilarious scenes from our two heroes. Now, while I get that Spies Like Us isn't the classic like Ghostbusters, Vacation, Fletch, or the Blues Brothers, it's still a very fun 80s movie with two of the best comic actors of their generation, and it's so much better than any of the so-called comedies released today. So if you haven't seen it, give it a shot. Or if you haven't watched it in years, it's worth another viewing. Plus, there's a great use of the Barkay's classic song, Soul Finger, towards the end of the film. Also, there was a title song to the film by Paul McCartney, and it's played during the closing credits. But I've always thought the song was garbage. And you know what? John Landis agrees, but he said he couldn't reject a McCartney song, nor the wishes of Warner Brothers. I'll tell you, it's certainly no live and let die, <laughs> but enjoy it if you dig it. He also made a music video for the track, which features Chase and Aykroyd. All right, some fun facts. So this is kind of a spoiler alert, so beware. The film originally ended with the destruction of the world, but test audiences didn't like it. So a new, happier ending was shot on a soundstage in Burbank. So when Chevy Chase had his own talk show in 1993 called The Chevy Chase Show, Dan Aykroyd told a story to him about how he and Chase were being pursued by a truck full of paratroopers while on location in Morocco. Aykroyd had taken a snapshot of the military unit, who then pursued them at high speeds back to their hotel, where they evaded detection by abandoning their Jeep and hiding inside of a van with curtains in the windows. The next day, as a prank, Aykroyd had John Landis tell Chase that he had been arrested and should expect them to be coming for him next. All right, we have a special guest, and it's a first-time guest. It's Elsie Fox from the Cobras and Fire podcast. He joins me to talk about spies like us. He's great, as always, because if you listen to the Cobras and Fire podcast with his co-host, Baco, they're terrific. Baco's been on before, so it's only natural we finally get Elsie. So enjoy that discussion coming up now, and I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, I love getting first-time guests, and it's been <laughs> too long. And now we we kind of met at uh, a Rock and Pod, and and this guy he was like, I, I got to be on your podcast. You had uh, my co-host, but you didn't have me, so have me on. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well I'm gonna have you on then. And that, of course, is Elsie from the always enjoyable Cobras and Fire podcast. He's gonna join me to talk about spies like us. So welcome, oh, Elsie. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. No, I'm, uh, I've heard plenty of these episodes, and and I'm happy to be on this. And I like the assignment. I like the list that I got to pick from. So uh, and this is one of them. Yeah, I always want to make sure that I, I don't want to give you something that you, you think is crap. I've, I've been doing that to Lindsay lately, so she's she, <laughs> she's probably going to leave me after the Good Luck Chuck episode, but that's okay. Oh, uh, my but... God. You're doing that? Jeez. <laughs> How, why do you own that? 
Man. Uh, there are certain films that I don't mind watching. Just I think what it came down to it was $2. It was a two-buck chuck. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will I will admit right now and lose all credibility that at one yeah. point, at one point, I think Dane Cook was actually funny. At one point. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. I think Really? I'm I'm glad. He's like the nickelback of comedians. Oh, I don't mind. No, no. He's much better than nickelback, but <laughs> uh, yeah. I liked uh his early comedy. I also liked Waiting. Did you ever see the movie Waiting with Ryan Reynolds? I, I did. That was a pretty I mean he had a smaller part in that one, but it was uh yeah, that was a good dirty you know, comedy, comedy. Exactly. He was a, he was a cook. He played a cook. Yep. Yeah. So you stretch sort of, you, exactly. You sort of gave me a glimpse of how the magic is created when you sent me this uh, quick photo of your notes that you took for this film. And by notes, I think of like kind of a grade school binder paper. You ignored, <laughs> you ignored all the margins and you didn't stay within the lines. It was just, it just what, it, what makes you and Baco even more special now that I know the process. Yeah, that's not his process, but mine is that, mine is that for sure. It's just <laughs> and and here to give you an idea of of more of the secret sauce. I have no idea where that paper is now, and I had, <laughs> and I had to try to remember what I wrote down for today. So well, I hope you remember most of it. So I'll I'll kind of guide you, but I think it's all going to come back. Um, definitely, one of them was Doctor Doctor Doctor. So that, sure. that covers that one. So do you remember seeing this in the theater, or were you too young? I'm guessing we're about the same age. I'm assuming you may have, or was this a video rental no, got, or was it cable? I'm, I'm pretty sure I got some years on you. So I, I, uh, had, I saw this in the movie theater mm-hmm. when, I, and I would have been 11 and I actually thought this came out in 86 mm. in my, in my memory, but it came out in 85. So there's the age. And I did see it in the theater and I, it, and it, it gave me memories of just the fact that that run of fun early eighties comedies where my parents was t- would take, take us. And there's some shit that was, uh, you know, it was not like it's terrible, but it's, it's got some stuff in it. We remember this. And I think three amigos must've been 86. And just that mm-hmm. run, it just reminded me of that. I, I didn't realize that Fletch and this came out in the same year. Until yeah. I watched it. What a run Chevy chase had from 80 to pretty much 80, 80, 81 on really. Well, that. yeah, even starting with uh, Foul Play back in 78. I mean, he right. had a couple of movies with Goldie Hawn, too. Um, he had a great year in 85. I think he had two top 10 movies with Fletch and this. So I'm yep. assuming you had seen Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd films prior to this. And if so, what, which ones were the ones that really stood out for you? And, and did you were you expecting something like that when you're going into Spies Like Us? You know, I'm not sure because this might have been – I mean, I've probably seen – when did European Vacation come out? Did it come the same year too? Yeah, that was, was eighty-five the, too, and that too. Jesus, oh, as well. Yeah, I think I think I saw European Vacation and this, and then it was like because I know I saw Fletch on Fletch was like a a, a video rental. Okay, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like that was after, and that was the one that I was like, this guy is gold. And then I went back to Vacation. I had not seen the Vacation. This might have been my first Chevy Chase. That's a great question. So, so you hadn't seen the original Vacation then at this point. I had not, no. Wow, no. so you saw European for first. Yeah, and I was like, eh, it's all right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as big a fan as some people are. I think that one's okay. And it's, okay. it's basically the original Christmas, European, and then Vegas, I guess, if you want to rank them. Yeah, yeah. I think Vegas is almost kind of a little bit underrated, I think. Uh, European's actually probably the worst one, but I think people have nostalgia for it since it was the second one. Take all the damn pictures you want, Brian. <laughs> big Ben. They're following. That's right. Yeah. So when when's the last time you saw Spies Like Us previously, you know, previous to actually this reviewing? 
It had to be at least 15 years. I mean, I've seen, I've seen parts. I used to watch this. So, so I remember seeing them in the movie. And then, then the reason I think that I, that I thought it came out in 86 is we didn't own it because it's still insane to think that actually owning a movie back then was some kind of rarity. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like, 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 like I think that Beverly Hills cop to own when it came out was like $80. Cause it was the same price. The companies charged the rental places. That's I right. Th- I think just, just put that in your, any, uh, anybody younger than let's call it 40 out there. <laughs> just imagine that just seeing that at blockbuster. Yeah. Let's just go buy this movie for 80 bucks on video. Um, so <sighs> What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> so it's been about 15 years since it, well, you did say you go on tangent. I guess the answer, the answer was 15 years. Okay, that's good. Okay, which let me do a great other question. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm watching I, it start to finish. I've seen bits. You know, you go back to them. Okay. Um, I, I know that I'm, I've, I've shared the uh, the doctor scene, just the YouTube clip many times. Sure. And and I, I think that, uh, oh, the, nin, the ninja scene I've revisited uh, because <laughs> of the fact that I was I, – I, and that was – just a few years ago, I used the phrase, I need this done at work immediately, if not sooner. And I think I learned that from this movie. I don't think any other movie says that, but but they say that phrase in this movie. And I, and that's in that ninja scene. Right. Well, the scene that always cracked me up as a kid, and it still does, I still think it's the best part of the movie, is the test-taking scene. I mean, I think that's just oh, brilliant the way they did it. The best. And I will tell you that we're watching it. That still stands up. I had the wife watch watch this with me too, so I, I subjected her to this. She had, she had <laughs> seen it like a long time ago and everything like that. But that test taking scene, oh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it. When I watch this, I'm like, Chevy Chase is a national treasure. It's too bad he's such a bag of ass. Yeah, you know, that, that like like that he turned into the. I'm sorry, I I, I yell at puddle of mud from not just calling themselves mud puddle. He's an <laughs> ass bag to be more efficient. <laughs> exactly, um, but. But you know what I mean? Like, like it's just, I mean, he had, he had quite a run before he finally burned out. So I guess it's longer that, mm-hmm. but, but just he's gold in that scene. And that's the thing that reminded me that, that I saw too, is that it, it, it told, it, it showed me that Aykroyd is, in my opinion, I think Dan Aykroyd is a good writer. Yeah. That, that, but I don't think as a, as a screen presence, I think there's a reason he vanished pretty quick in the, in the eighties because he, in this movie, I was just like, he's just kind of there. Right. Just like, just like ghostbusters would ghostbusters be ghostbusters without Bill Murray. I don't no. think Dan, it, it's a kind of just reinforced that feeling um, that I've always had about him. So. Well, and that was going to be one of my questions. Cause one of the common things I asked about Dan Aykroyd, he's only starred really in one film and that was Dr. Detroit. And it, didn't do well. Otherwise, right. he's always part of an ensemble. Like he needed Belushi. Oh, that's true. Or he needed Bill Murray or he needed Chevy Chase. You know, he was always kind of the side character. So I, I, you kind of answer the question, why don't you think he crossed over to leading man roles? Maybe he just didn't have it in him. I don't think he did. I think he was just a guy that was was better to work. And even going back to when everybody always says, you know, Saturday Night Live, the first crew is the best. Were they really? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 arguable. But but of that, I don't even think he has that, that many characters back then. For so throw your hate mail towards me for all your Aykroyd <laughs> lovers. But but I but I, I do think you you make a great point there. I mean, Blues Brothers, all the scenes. I mean, what's what's the, the quotes from Blues Brothers are all Belushi too, aren't they? Or is it accurate about like we have sunglasses? We're going. What's you know? What's the phrase? We're on a mission from God. 
I mean, okay, so I'll give it to him. Yeah. But but but, but Belushi still. definitely carry. I mean, he's. I guess you want to call Belushi or the uh, um, Dan Aykroyd the David Spade to uh, Chris Farley's. You know, uh, right. Belushi. I don't know. I, I think so too, and it's only been in recent. And to that end, though, I think that David Spade, with now his fly in the wall and some of his other stuff going on, that he's actually risen in uh, stature. But I always thought he was like second, you know, banana or whatever to Farley. And I think most people did. So, so I don't, I don't know what a, a fan of old, old films you are, like from the '30s and the '40s. But these are definitely like the road trip movies of Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and of course Bob Hope makes a cameo in this this film is, <laughs> is basically like a road trip movie and I, I don't know if you ever saw those types of films from way back when not, not uh, no I mean the, the, I think as far as my my movie thing um, the oldest ones I really go back to are like Hitchcock and, okay. and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, I do want to watch your your more recent one that you posted that was I guess the origination of the the hey say here Oh, Little Caesar. Is that true? Is that when it started? The whole kind of talk? Pretty much. Yeah. That was when the um, the gangster film kind of took shape. There were some silent ones, but they needed sound to kind of make the gangster film better. <laughs> they went with that. And they went with that. Say <laughs> here. And that was parodied nonstop, you know? Oh, yeah. How recently was that? Was it, I mean, when that genre came out, hey, were you here for Spies Like Us? We're talking about old gangster films now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but It was a couple but, weeks ago. Yeah, but no, but I'm saying like how quickly was it parodied in, 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 uh, since you're such the movie guy, like it was a, say about, was it a genre. Yeah, it was maybe like 10 years afterward. I mean, I guys it only took that Cag- long. Yeah. Cause Cagney would kind of talk like that. They had kind of a, yes, yeah. like talking out of the side of your mouth. But then once it got to like Looney Tunes, then it was full on. Plus it's over Looney Tunes was Warner brothers as well. So, and Warner brothers was like the gangster genre. So it kind of all fit perfectly. And I'll, and I'll say, uh, just to pivot back, the yeah. other, other thing about Spies Like Us that I was actually kind of angry about was, and this has happened multiple times, at least on the streaming level, I'll just ask it to you, mm-hmm. is the blue, do you have this on Blu-ray? I do, but it's it's a double uh, feature with Funny Farm. Is it a shitty c- copy? Because the, the streaming version I had, I was like, how could they have not, I mean, you know, this wasn't a, you know, $200 million grossing movie, but but the, the version that's, quote, HD... Mm-hmm. That I bought on Amazon, you know, the same thing you you buy everywhere. Sure. Terrible. It looked like a bootleg. I mean, yeah, it's terrible. It didn't even show up. The audio doesn't even show up in stereo. It showed up <laughs> in like a different format that from anyway, I just I just That's, think it's a, it's a sin. Go there ahead. are certain films they don't clean up well, and I don't know if it's because of the the uh, production company or not. But I mean, this was actually a fairly popular movie. It, it was like a, I think eleventh in the top, you know, for eighty five. Yeah, a 10th ranked movie of 85. And so it made almost $80 million, which back in 85, that's probably a couple hundred million. So so I'll throw, I'll give you an example of why I think that's madness then. Because uh, they just announced that they're doing a 4K version of the movie Trick or Treat starring Gene Simmons. <laughs> that's true. Coming out. How is this not cleaned up? I was watching. I was embarrassed to, to like sh- – sh- I, 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 here's the point. I wouldn't show this to my kids in this format because it just looks <laughs> terrible on like a, you know, a 50 inch TV. Um, and the camera was shaking a lot and some, some, some stuff. Anyway, that just kind of drove it back. Cause I thought this was for, for one of the comedies in the eighties. I thought this had a, a solid plot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in general, like it had some not great effects, but you know, it, 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 it seems like a movie that lends itself vacation. Uh, Christmas Vacation still is not cleaned up either. My HD version looks like shit. 
So I, I think it has to be a studio thing. Cause I know with trick or treat, we're going on a tangent here, but with trick or treat, I think they probably gave up the rights. The studio did. So allowed whatever the, the kind of boutique labels to then acquire the rights to it. Whereas with Warner brothers, they're not giving up the rights to spies like us and they don't give a shit about cleaning it up. Obviously. Yes. Yeah, people are still going to rent it and, yeah. and they're going to make them make money. Then it's a profit deal. It is a totally a profit deal. And I, so you you kind of alluded to it, the plot. Do you think the plot's a little bit too convoluted for a screwball comedy? Or, you know, and it also leads to what holds up with this film uh, for you and what does not? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's um, – let's see here. I here Here's the thing about that that I, that I remembered was thinking – seeing this in the theater back in the day is like uh, – well – Okay, things that don't, don't hold up or, you know, like anything back in the day, the effects. I mean, you can definitely – it almost looks like Tinker Toys when you see the Star Wars thing. <laughs> but I thought it was, but I thought it was kind of neat, mm-hmm. uh, it, for for lack of a better word, that they was – it was right – it had to have been within a year or so of the Star Wars defense system being a thing with, with, with Reagan. I mean, it seemed like right. it was pretty immediate. You know what I mean? Like from knowing it in culture to it being represented on the screen – I don't know. It seemed pretty, uh, at least back then, going from news to using it in a movie seemed pretty pretty uh, recent. Well, yeah. I'm going to look this up real quick to the, the Star Wars program. I want to say it was like, yeah, it was 80, it's, 80. It's 84. So, yeah, a year later, they're using it. So that I thought was impressive. Nowadays, you get that. It's, it's like I remember the first time that South Park did a joke. That was a news item that happened like the week before and my mind exploded. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like because they can do that with graphics and just, you know, it's a cartoon. But sure. anyway, so that part, I will tell you the plot of the evil uh, – you're, you're a guy that knows the actors more. Who's who's the uh, the guy that I believe was in airplane movies too? Um, the, you know, who's the uh, big evil defense guy? Uh, you know? Oh, it was uh, Steve Forrest played uh, General Sline, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. That yeah. he, like, like he – like – Hold on for a second. You're telling me the plot was to test this out? You're going to shoot <laughs> missiles at, at your own country? Now, that doesn't – I was like, that doesn't add up too well. But no. uh, So that part – but but I do love that for, for me, uh, especially being younger and, and, and still now, is, is that I like the fact that it was an action comedy. It got me going. You know what I mean? Like that. Like, But now what, what ho- doesn't hold up as much is that the first two acts are fucking great. Yes. And then and then the third act, you're like, okay, this is just a straight action movie. Right. Like for the last half hour until they're playing, you know, a game of risk at the end and they they've both they they both hooked up. I will tell you what also holds up, Brian, is eighties ladies. Let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I'm gonna go into this is that that right after I was done with this and and the wife was out of the room was like, I gotta look up with these ladies. Sorry, <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, I have to know if they did anything else because, because I remember even being at eleven, being like, there's a lot of bra action in yep. this PG, PG movie, and the first girl that shows up, I guess her name is Heidi Sorensen, she did never did anything else, the blonde that is with uh, Chevy Chase, but the second one that I thought was interesting was that that the uh, the Russian, the gorgeous Russian that yep. um, is Ackroyd, get with her. Yes, so that's that's uh, Vanessa Angel. So the yes, yeah. yeah. Who was in fucking um, Kingpin? The, yes, I was yeah. like, holy shit! <laughs> like I, I didn't even make that. I, I did that. I saw that was her second like biggest credit. I was like, no wonder. I was yes. like, but that was like ten years later almost. Oh though. yeah, she, she she hung around for a while. I have to correct you. The blonde is actually Donna Dixon though. 
No, no, no. Different. I'm sorry. Different one. Different blonde. So, okay. So, okay. So because you're yeah. Okay. So so we'll just hit that. Real oh, quick. you're talking about the blonde in the very very just, beginning when he's just right in the beginning. I'm yes. talking all bras. Yes. Uh, um and and I remember that the Donna Dixon thing was Dan Aykroyd and Donna Dixon together at that point. Yes, they actually met on Doctor Detroit. That's when she, I guess, either left Paul Stanley for him, or they were on the out already. <laughs> there we go. So, yes, we yeah. got the kiss mention. There yes. you go. <laughs> I'll put that in the liner notes. So the, the show notes, yeah. But uh, that had to be a kiss. I mean, he wrote uh, "I Still Love You," I guess, for her. But uh, that didn't work. And say what you want about Dan Aykroyd, they're still together. Him and Donna Dixon. Are. I know. Like, like that. Like she, uh, she held up. Uh, oh yeah, like, like like over time, like what I mean is like like she still is, was as as pretty as I remember, but I was like it's kind of funny that he, as I understand, that spies like was originally like all of his it's like every time they say like you know this was originally planned for Belushi but he mm-hmm. died so they right. had to bring in Chevy Chase that's still the story right or right like, they still the narrative well the thing like, about all of Aykroyd's writings everything was for Belushi actually including Ghostbusters um you know that was supposed oh. to be for him, him and and Belushi so yeah and and Ramis or not I, I don't know if Ramis was involved but I, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be um the Winston character so it could have been a whole different you know uh movie with all those guys obviously and I'll just say one thing about that is that <laughs> Aykroyd is 10 in another stratosphere than Ramus on film for me. Like, like, like Ramus is like, he was the, the, the part that I didn't like about stripes, mm. like, like that kind of stuff. Like for anyway, it's just kind of, well, Ramus, I think was a hell of a director and writer. Cause I mean, yes, absolutely. Shack and right. obviously, yeah, all, all the, and he directed vacation, the first vacation too. So, but I just say that's like the Tarantino effect. They keep writing themselves into their own movies. Yeah. They want to, they want to star in it too. But getting back to, um, Donna Dixon. Yeah. Donna Dixon. I thought it was, so he must, he must have, if he was one of the writer, if he wrote that, that doctor scene, he must have been like, at this point, Belushi squeeze, squeezes my wife's tit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That's right. Didn't he had nerve damage? That's okay. Yes, yeah. nerve damage. So I was like that. That part then, I'm. I, I still remember like being in the theater as a kid. And at one point, I think my mom like grabbed my dad. Like, what movie were we seeing with the kids? <laughs> you know, like as I was being uncomfortable a little bit. You know, those scenes like with your, with your parents when you're younger. Like, eh, I don't know, I really want to be in the same room with you right now. But like that kind of is pretty odd um, to see now. Like mm-hmm. I'm still like, what was the move there? Like if I was that move, what's she's 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 a real sport. He goes for he two boobs, cool. two yeah. boobs, and is like whatever. She grabs his hands. Yeah, all business. Well, she was a spy. Not to give anything away, but I will. Um, you know, like she, us. She, yeah, she'd been there before. She knew what to do. I thought it was a decent. Oh, one last thing about somebody that it's not a cameo that I was surprised about. I do remember that Frank Oz was there. I mean, I didn't know yep. who Frank Oz was when I was a kid, but when I rewatched it, maybe. 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I remember Bob Hope was in it. I remember yep. um, B.B. King. King. Who else yep. is one? And that, what's the uh, guy from Monty Python in that scene? Oh, yes. Um, the director, Terry Gilliam? Yes. Is it? Yep. yep. Okay. So he's in it. So that was, that was uh, I'd forgot him though, but this was the one that I was surprised about, was seeing a fresh faced, was like, he's been in so many things, but Bruce Davidson, I thought was interesting. That's right. That, that As, is right. So, and it was driving me crazy watching it because he looks, he looks the same, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you just, I'm like, I couldn't place him at first because he's, he's always been that guy and that thing. 
sort of. Well, the thing about um, Landis, Landis would use a lot, a lot of directors do this too. Landis used like Frank Oz in Blues Brothers. He was the um, the guard when Bushi finally gets out of prison in the beginning of the movie. So uh, oh, yeah. you get a lot of those cameos, and that was what was kind of fun about these films. Speaking of Landis, I you know I think people forget how what a successful director he was in the '80s. So if if you can, I can help you out if if you need some. Uh, some coaching, but what are what are some of your favorite Landis films, or what is your favorite Landis film? So was Landis Animal House, or was that Ramus? That was Landis. Okay, so, so he, he directed, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he, that was like his first one, I think. Um, what I've seen is maybe as far as like one that kind of is somewhat timeless, I might give it to Coming to America. Just because okay. it kind of hits all those little things, but I will say that I did see a making of lately. I just want to make one comment: is that John Landis comes off a bit like a, a the Chevy Chase of directors in this cult. Oh, no doubt, very arrogant, very into himself. Okay, because that's the first yeah. time I've seen him interviewed, and it was like the uh, it was the uh, the movies that made us on mm-hmm. Netflix. Have you watched any of those? I have not, but I've watched plenty of special features with Landis in okay. it. Okay. He definitely is a big fan of himself, which, look, he he, he was a great director, so I, I, I don't fault him. I guess you have to have that sort of ego in Hollywood, I guess. Yeah, like like with the first, when they interviewed him, he was, they, you know, of all the, most of these things is always, I'll say, like, you know, the name of the person, they'll introduce themselves, like, hi, I'm somebody, mm-hmm. somebody, I'm the director. And mm-hmm. they go, he goes, what do you want me to say? He's like, well, <laughs> all these segments say, he's like, why the fuck should I say I'm John Lennis? I'm John, people know who who, who I am. So you can just really? put my name on the, you can just put my name on the bottom of it and, and then like starts cursing out the the uh, the cameraman. And I'm like, ooh, he sounds like a lot of fun on set. That would have worked in 1990, maybe not anymore. <laughs> his last big hit, I think, was coming I to mean, America, we'll, right? Pretty much. I mean, he, I'm I think Beverly Hills Cop was three was successful, but it wasn't that good. So yeah, his last no. great movie was 1988. But I got to tell you, through the 80s, I mean, give, so me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, sure. Uh, I'm, 78, he had Animal House. 1980, he had Blues Brothers. Then he followed up with American Werewolf in London. He then did Trading Places. Um, trading, you know what? I might, you can keep yeah. going, but I might say Trading yep. Spaces might be my or favorite. Trading one. Places. Trading yeah, Places. Places. Trading, trading yep. Places. Uh, and still, as an adult, still confused how the stock market works. <laughs> <laughs> Just like well, the how, how they how they how they rocked it how they rocked it back then and it destroyed it. Uh, I remember watching as a kid, being like, "I still don't completely get what they did." So, commodities. Anyway. Yep. Uh, it's all about it. commodities. There's nothing like an exciting ending scene about commodity trading, right? Yep, that's right. And so, I don't know. keep going though, my friend. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt after, you. No, it's okay. After spy after trading places, spies like us. Um, then he did Three Amigos, which it, that's a movie I own, but it's actually. You think it's better than it really is. Um, oh, it's not and that then good. He did, it's, it's, it's about, it says, you know what it is? It's the same thing as Spies Like Us at the end. All the, yeah. the shooting and shit and running around for a half hour. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done after the first 45 minutes of that movie, I think. Yeah. And then he wrapped up the 80s with Coming to America. So he, he went out strong. But after that, uh, in the 90s, he had Oscar with Sylvester Stallone. He oh, had a movie boy. called Innocent Blood. He did Beverly Hills yeah. Cop 3. And then he did Blues Brothers 2000, which is one of the Terrible, worst sequels ever made. Yeah, and he pretty much did nothing after that. So nothing of any note. So yeah, yeah. so I'll I'll go with hmm. If I was going to measure them, I'd probably still go with Coming to America, just because it's yep. 
not of the time, but probably a second would be trading trading uh, places. places. Yep. I definitely recommend if you're a fan of airplane, definitely check out Kentucky Fried Movie. That was basically his his oh, yeah. first major um, studio film before Animal House. Um, you will you you will cream your jeans. That's right. That's right. What was it? The um, Catholic, <laughs> Catholic schoolgirls in trouble. That's right. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So, uh, being a music guy, uh, I totally forgot until recently that the theme song was done by Paul McCartney, and man, it sucks. So I, I don't know Horrible. what you thought of it, but yeah, and are Good you even point. a Beatles fan? Yeah. Oh yeah, a big Beatles fan, and and I remember that. Uh, oh, that was the one thing I did learn from. Um, man, I can't remember where it was. I actually, I I think it's called Wild and Crazy Guys. Hmm. Do you, have you read this book? You would like it. I have not. It, okay, it's, yeah. it's a it's a recent book put out. And it pretty much chronicles all of the Saturday Night Live uh, cast, the originals, pursuit through movies, and tons of interviews, kind of like an oral history. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things that they talked about was Landis said that somehow he got connected to Paul McCartney. And he's like, I want to write a theme for this this movie. And he's uh-huh. like, well, he did Live and Let Die with Wings. That was probably either the first, you know, possibly the best Bond theme song so sure. of course of course i'm gonna like and you're gonna say no to a beetle and then he remembers mm-hmm. he he sent it to him and he's like i am gonna bury this in the credits and it's not even gonna <laughs> start it's not even gonna start i don't think until a little bit later in the credits like that's right like that's that's how that's how bad it is mm-hmm. um but for the movie part for the other music part is that uh i can't remember it but i always like that little um the music that that they were playing at the Russian uh, camp. Yeah, that's the Barkays doing uh, Soulfinger. So the Barkays man, soul band from the the late sixties, seventies. So yeah, I have to add that to my my playlist because I just I've always loved that that little yeah. uh, jam that they're they're uh, getting down to. So you're in you're into vinyl, so I highly recommend getting the album. Uh, it's just called Soulfinger from the Barkays. It's their debut. They were the backing band for Otis Redding. Uh, and some of them were on the plane when Rodus Redding died. So, I mean, they were huh. go. Yeah, they were like the the primo, like kind of the second coming of Booker T and the MGs, where they were mostly doing instrumental music. So, but they kept going that, after is that. that this, so. Is that the is that track on that, yeah, that album too? Definitely. I mean, that that is okay. their big hit. I mean, they kept okay. going. They did like search to funk in the seventies and things like that. But the bar case are terrific. Yeah. Surprise hasn't been sampled. If it has, I haven't noticed it. Oh, I'm sure it has at some point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a couple things you touched upon. So again, you mentioned the VHS tape, so we got to get into this. Uh, did you dub VHS tapes either from renting or did you tape things off television like cable? Oh, I did a little both. Um, okay. I mean, I remember having the whole RCA cable magic, you know, between yep. the two. I never had a double one. I always just had the rigged one. Okay. Right? And uh, we just went – the out went to the in or whatever right. on the other one. Um, uh-huh. And I actually, I, I remember doing s- uh, some amount of editing that way, like mm. hitting the, the play and the record you, and you would have to have one synced properly. Cause the other one had like three seconds of delay. And That's it was right. like this magic thing when I put together like a, a mix of stuff, but yeah, I did the whole SLP jam three movies on one tape and it looks like dog this is the thing that, that blows my mind though is that it, yep. what at no point growing up did any of us go this looks like dog shit 
No. This looks terrible no. because all the TVs look like dog shit and we just went with it. And like yeah. it, it and, and even when DVD came on, you're like, I remember when DVDs first came out, I go, I don't see the difference because my TV is dog shit. <laughs> It is true. And and you mentioned your kids. So you like you felt bad showing this to your kids. They yeah. don't know what it was like, uh, you know, before where you basically had a 15 to 20 inch box that uh, you you couldn't see. A lot, but it never bothered us. Like, I, I don't remember ever ruining my enjoyment of film. I guess it made me want to go to the, the theater more. Whereas now, why even bother going to the theater? Like, I, I think that if for some reason, I don't remember the logic on this, but I remember if you were, if you dubbed, like, let's say I recorded, I probably had spies like us and some bullshit tape at some point, but I'm pretty sure it was on SLP on sure. our VCR for whatever reason, when you hit pause and it was the shittier recording, mm-hmm. it did not put the static lines on top of it. So you could get a good boob shot or whatever of the, ah. of the Russian, Russian coming out of the tent. But if it was right. a higher, ver, higher version, it had, maybe it had to do with pixels. It would have that, those, those white lines that would go through it. That's the, right. Uh, and our, our our dubbing station was our camcorder. So we would use that as the uh, to put the, the rental in there. And then we'd also and we dub from the traditional VCR. And we I, I figured out which companies would have that uh, copyright material on it. So if it started flashing immediately and I think Paramount was was one of the good ones. OK, but the one but Universal. I mean, I tried to to record Back to the Future and they wouldn't let me. It flashed. Huh. If it flashed, when you tried to watch it back after dubbing it, it would be all staticky. It was like they really? put some sort of, yeah, some sort of, uh, I don't know. It, whatever it did, it, it totally ruined your your dubbing. So it was kind of like putting that, you know, when CDs, they tried to do that too to prevent you from ripping. So it was like that early version of that. And then you could get past it by using a Sharpie or something, right? It wasn't right. some kind of hack. <laughs> exactly. Or, I, Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. It was a Cobra hack. That's right. It was. It was. <laughs> but no, that that's all I got. So, I mean, is there anything else that, that from watching this movie that uh, you'd like to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't really talked about specific. I mean, listen, uh, like you said, as far as scenes, the uh, doctor scene, gold, test taking yep. scene, gold. But there, there was little stuff like, like uh, that I forgot phrases. Uh, that Chevy would say that I think only he can say. So I'm going to try saying I'm. Mean, it's not going to be as funny. But just basically okay. that the thing where he says when the ninjas come down, he goes, "Here's a picture of my sister. You can have her. I hear she's very good." I mean, <laughs> I think only that, I'm like that's amazing. And then something about uh, if you stop now, I'll bring back the sun. I mean, just these lines. It's like I, I guess. Uh, I, I think he was in full – when I was watching it, what I noticed is I think Chevy Chase was in full fletch mode because there's a couple things yeah. when he was like – when he was like in – was watching um, an old uh, Ronald Reagan movie because they're kind of ma- making fun that Ronald Reagan was an actor when he was president. Right. Um, uh-huh. And that he had his feet up on the desk and I was like, this looks like it could have been in fletch, like that yes. that scene, like when he's in the newsroom. Um, yep. I don't know. Oh, I know what else. I thought that the um, the underground bunker – uh, mm-hmm. Still, still was a pretty cool idea with the elevator that goes way underneath, and there's like yes. some secret, secret thing. And I thought that still kind of held up, and it actually kind of reminded me of a Breaking Bad a little bit. Yeah, it's like, it's like that that they, where they're making the meth, and it's deep That's underground. Right. They're um, in the laundry. Yeah, because I think the, the it was a drive-in that for spies like us. I think like an abandoned drive. Yeah, it was like a it was like a drive-in theater. And what is it in Breaking yep. Bad? It's it's what is it? Just it's a like laundry. A, there you go. So it kind yeah. of had those kind of vibes to me. And I was like, I wonder if that, who knows? But but I, I thought that, that 
You know what it was? I, I thought it, it held up as an efficient. It was a very efficient script. It just, yeah. I just wish that there was more comedy. I just wish that they had not dropped the comedy past the one, the the uh, fifty minute mark, roughly. That's all. Right. Yeah, I think watching rewatching it, it starts off like gangbusters, and then just kind of if it doesn't know what it wants to be, I think after yeah. that. Yeah. So, and uh, and maybe they were going over budget, maybe there was editing problems, but uh, it still did well at the box office. I think simply because Chevy Chase was probably the biggest thing, and and Ackroyd just came off Ghostbusters, so you can't really exactly. go wrong there. Yeah. yeah, I mean the, those two coming into it, it had to be a hit. So, yeah. but uh, but I enjoyed going back to it. It, it was it was better. I, I was pleasantly surprised that, that a lot of those things that still that still made me laugh, you know, thirty five years later or whatever. So I'll wrap up with this. Why don't you guest on other podcasts besides your own? Like, why aren't you? Why are you only on your own? Why why aren't you whoring yourself out like Rocco does? <laughs> Time for the most part. I mean, that okay. guy, I'm, I'm always just amazed. Like he just dropped another awesome uh, whatever never mind episode mm-hmm. uh, today uh, about uh, the Allison Chains EPs yep. Sap and um, Jar of Flies. So yep. Yeah, you know, I've been on. If, if if you if I do whore myself out occasionally, I just like I, what I don't want to do is I don't want my price to go down too much. So you know, right. it's just it's just it's just that is something about stocks that I don't understand. You know, mm-hmm. um, basic e- economics. Now uh, I've been on Rock Strikes Ten several times. Okay. I've been on Growing Up Rock for a Van Halen okay. episode. But you're right, well, I'm not all over the by place. The way, love love your Steve Michael impression. That was gold. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, we even touches the, the episode that comes out in like a week or two. I go, uh-huh. you know, we are a niche podcast when the, the greatest feedback we got in our last episode from all over the place was making fun of another podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I was like, hold on for a second. I think possibly only podcasters <laughs> listen to us to hear us make fun of our own. And that's you know what? it. I'm okay with that because sometimes, you know, it, it's your people get you, you know. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, like it's a funny. comedian's comedian, that type of deal. There you go. Yeah, yeah. that's what it, that's what it is. No, man. Um, it was it was great meeting you in the at the. Well, I guess we met before, but I was yeah. Pr- but you didn't remember me, but that's okay. You were memorable. I just have a bad memory. I think that's why I said it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you made up for it. I, I guested uh, at Rock and Pod. You guys did a YouTube exclusive. So yeah, that was that's fun. fun. We had a good. We had a good time doing that. It's, we love having guests on. It's just always the yeah. coordinating. And it would be fun to do a uh, some subject, if you want to throw something our way, where you guest. And it's both Baco and I and a guest, which is even harder to put together. But that's the most oh, fun, yeah. I think, is when we have a like we have a, a podcaster uh, a throuple. Yeah, and that's what, that's kind of what we did. We There was no prep. You basically just came up to me at the at the convention. You're like, hey, you just want to guest on this real quick? We're, we yep. have uh, Stevie Rochelle coming up next. So if you want to do this, then let's do it. And we just started talking. That's kind of how it is when, when you hang out with a bunch of guys, which is a lot of fun. Yep. 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 So we went super smooth. So it's fun. It did. It did. And so, again, check out the Cobras and Fire podcast if you hadn't already. And I've guested a few different times. I actually did whatever, never mind, for In Utero, which did not hold up well. So go check out that. No. I was also on a Baco Plus One. So we, we talked about all sorts of random things. And I, I, I distinctly remember uh, Baco calling the podcast Milk Toast. And so that was his, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was okay with, you know, I can't do it, what you guys do. If I try to be, if I try to do shtick, I can't do it. So it's not going to come off like me. Well, but I knew, I knew what Baco meant. So, yeah. And, and, and the, uh, well, what a, what a shitty thing to say. I'm surprised you ever, <laughs> ever spoke to him again. Milk well, Baco. I know Baco. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah you got to just get it ready. You're like, you walk in that room, the balls get 
get hit and you go from there. That's right. right. That's right. That He basically started the podcast like that and then hit me with, why don't you, I have an idea. Why don't you do, uh, and you have to really go in depth and just do porn instead. And I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There, there's nothing like, there's nothing like, uh, I, I really wish when I came on here, you'd give me advice about my podcast. That's what right. I was really hoping. <laughs> But I knew he'd hit me with something like that, and uh, I, I appreciate Baco, so uh, cool. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, he didn't ruin anything. But as always, again, check out Cobras and Fire, and you can check out LC and Baco, who has been on before. So thank you again, and hopefully we can sync up again and, and, and do this again. But I, you're tough to you're tough to wrangle. Yeah, well, uh, listen, I think there's another one coming up here at some point. Hopefully, hopefully. So, yes. Thanks again, LC. Thanks, man. Someone took your plans away So what's all of us? There ain't nobody to ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video.
Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.